Hi, I'm Matt Quinn. Thanks for joining us again for Decision Point from Ivy Publishing at the Ivy Business School. Today, I'm joined by Yuri Galandris, an Associate Professor of Operations Management and Sustainability. Yuri serves as the Associate Director of Ivy's Center for Building Sustainable Value and leads the Network for Business Sustainability, a global network of over 35,000 business leaders and researchers that aim to mobilize more sustainable business strategies and practices worldwide. In this episode, Yuri shares his definition of sustainability, discusses the importance of teaching sustainability in business schools, and explains how Ivy is uniquely equipped to meet the demand for sustainability education. Additionally, Yuri talks about the new partnership between Ivy Center for Building Sustainable Value and Ivy Publishing, Ivy's curated sustainability case collection, and the future of sustainability in business education. Enjoy! Yuri, thanks very much for joining us today. Let's start right into some definitions and how you look at things. So you're an associate professor in operations management and sustainability, and you lead the circular economy priority area for Ivy Center for Building Sustainable Value. Can you explain to the listeners what sustainability really means? Thank you, Matt. Uh, sustainability or sustainable development uh, has been defined in many different ways. Uh, the most probably known and diffused definition is the one from our common future. Sustainable development is development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generation to meet their own needs. So essentially is economic development that not just avoid the depletion of natural resources, but regenerate these natural resources. Does not just contribute to society through profit, but also avoids negative implications in terms of inequality, human rights, social injustice, uh, and so forth. So it's, uh, it's this notion of being able to use the resources and, and conserve them over time both human resources and natural resources, potentially amplifying the benefits of using these resources in society. And one of the terms that we often hear about along with sustainability is circular economy. You know, what is this and how does it fit into the sustainability discipline? So to be sustainable, a business has to be in symbiosis with the natural environment and society, which means that it has to operate within the threshold of natural and social systems. The circular economy is just the embodiment of this definition uh, because it, it connects firms within and across supply chains. So the waste or what we call waste, which is just resources in the wrong place at the wrong time, the waste of one organization becomes the, the feedstock of another. It's about business production and consumption that is that is contained within the earth planetary limits and the economic value that the, the circular system generates should be fairly redistributed across its constituencies. So again, is this notion of having a system that uh, uses resources in the most effective and efficient way so that we can avoid depletion over time and potentially contribute to regeneration. Well, that's great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for clarifying those things, because when we think about it, we're not often, uh, you know, have the definition in front of us or can think of examples. But I really love how you put, you know, the waste from one becomes an input for another. I think that's in theory what it should happen. And uh, our research is actually focusing on 
uh, all the cognitive uh, but also operational barriers that, uh, you know, come in between the idea of the circular economy and the execution of the circular economy. Uh, but certainly that, that should be our goal. Waste uh, is just material in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, that's, that's a great way of looking at it. Now, from Ivy Publishing's perspective, we've seen a tremendous growth in the number of sustainability-related case submissions really over the past three years. Why do you think sustainability is becoming such an important part of the business school uh, curricula and, and environment? I believe sustainability can simply not be neglected anymore. The lack of sustainability is manifesting around us every day uh, in, in different parts of the world. So we begin to experience how fragile our economic systems are to the climate crisis and the loss of biodiversity. I believe that for some time, the concept of externalities had played a role in how we managed businesses. So in every customer transaction, uh, the price would not reflect the negative implications that that transaction generates for the environment and society at large, for third parties, essentially. But now these externalities are, are coming back and hunting us. So if, if you think about climate change manifestations, supply chain disruptions, uh, global warming, fires, and so far and so forth, and the implications that that, that that is having for our daily life and as well as for businesses more in general, just it's something we cannot neglect anymore. Why we neglected in the past is because also what I teach to my students, I think different reasons, but my main explanation resolves around the concept of separation. We experience cognitive, psychological, but also geographical and temporal separation from what we do and the consequences of what we do. So if, if I pollute here, that goes in the atmosphere and there is acid rain happening somewhere else in the world that I don't experience, but is caused by, by, by my activity. If I don't experience I don't feel the consequences, I will never correct my behavior. Similarly, if I buy a product that is cheap and good quality, and I don't see how that product is produced because the supply chain is not transparent, I will never think about child labor. I will never think about worker safety and the lack of worker safety. And we all know what happened in, at Rana Plaza in 2011. Uh, thousands of people died. And it wasn't the first manifestation of the problem. When organizations try to address the problem, uh, what they discover is that they didn't know how because they were not capable of empathizing with the conditions, the local uh, situation in the areas where we used to produce from because we, we simply don't, don't know how to relate with, with those societies, with those cultures, with those systems. Now, some of it, some of this separation is just... Uh, overcome through uh, digital resources, uh, technology, but also uh, climate change manifestations that, that make it real. We know where products come from. We are much more aware of the implications of our consumption. We are much more aware of the implication of our production and, uh, and we need to act fast. And one of the things that you've mentioned is, you know, as a species, we don't have a future without sustainable business and management. And it's something that we're putting in front of students because they can't ignore it. And it's our really role as an institution to develop the next group of leaders. So it's something they've got to be able to tackle. And I, I love how you've talked about that previously. 
Yeah, so I think firms have had a bias to firm level problems that lead to firm level solutions that might be economic success, economically successful, but might not or might uh, create unintended consequences for other systems. Mm-hmm. As you put it very brilliantly, there's no future, there's no real future for us and our, uh, our children uh, without a sustainable business and management. So we've recently partnered with the Ivy Center for Building Sustainable Value to curate you know, a sustainability case collection. What was the impetus for this partnership? Uh, how does this fit with the mission of the, of the center? How are you looking at this? So uh, I'm an operations management scholar and sustainability scholar, but I look at demand and supply very often. And so I think this happened because there is strong demand and there is strong, and very strong supply at Ivy. What I mean by demand is that students are mobilizing around the world to ask demand for more sustainability-related education. There are many organizations that are building bottom-up organically in different countries that create pressure or create demand for for business schools to have more sustainability-related programs, uh, courses, and material. So there is a strong demand on one hand. On the other, Ivy has always had a very strong supply, uh, meaning that Ivy was one of the first to establish a sustainability center. We have great leaders, uh, academic leaders uh, at Ivy from Tima Bansal in strategy, uh, Rob Klassen in operations, Alison Conrad uh, on inequalities, Juana Bronze on social entrepreneurship. And these profs have been at Ivy for about uh, 20 years and they have attracted new faculty over time with a focus on sustainability, such as myself and, and, and many of my colleagues. So as we see this demand increasing, we just uh, have content and material to share with students. And so we just provided to uh, Ivy Publishing the capabilities that were needed in order to to assess uh, the SDGs and and provide resources that other instructors could then leverage. Uh, A few numbers, uh, if I may, we have increased our investment in producing IV cases that are more sustainability oriented. But the analysis that we are conducting, the tagging exercise, is showing that many of the cases that we were used to produce still have an SDG focus of some sort. So out of 546 studies, case studies that we reviewed recently, 163, so 30%, already included at least one SDG. Some SDGs are more covered than others. So number 10, 8, and 12 are covered by many cases. There are some others that instead we need to be more careful of and and direct our investments in in those directions. These are SDGs 14, 1, 2, 6, and 11. And and what's interesting is that some of these cases actually cover more than one SDG. And so the cases can be useful to unpack the interdependencies between different uh, elements of sustainability. And some other cases instead are focused on specific SDGs, so allow you to go deeper on one. On one, on one specific topic. 
Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up some of the numbers and what I'm, you know, excited for our, the the publishing standpoint of this is that, you know, we're looking into our collection of what we what we've done previously, but then also really looking ahead. So it's exciting to see the energy going into this. And then, of course, we get to see where all these cases go and are used internationally. And I know two of the recent cases, uh, you know, additions to the state sustainability collection have been authored by you. So we've got A&W Canada. Uh, serving Great Taste with Minimal Waste, and HP Canada Co., a circular supply chain for recycled plastic. Great to see you submitting. So thanks for submitting cases because they all go towards the goal of getting this information out to the world. Can you briefly describe these cases and how they uh, impart sustainability-related lessons to the to not only the individual student, but to the, to the schools that they go out to? I love these cases, and by the way, they were um, the result of a collaboration with other colleagues at Ivy and beyond. So uh, the HP case was developed in collaboration with my colleague Daishin Lee, and the ANW case was developed in collaboration with uh, another colleague at Odensia uh, Business School. So the HP case challenges students to trade off complex strategic and operational decisions that must be faced and made uh, to develop a competitive circular supply chain for plastic. It focuses on HP goals to have 30% post-consumer recycled plastic across their uh, personal systems and printers by 2025. By the way, they just came out with another announcement that they will try to get to 70% post-consumer recycled plastic in their products uh, by 2030, which is a, is a huge goal wow. and effort. The problem is that uh, virgin plastic is still very cheap. And so how can you remain competitive if you promise to produce products that contain recycled content and you start at a disadvantage? So how do you set up a supply chain that takes back post-consumer uh, waste to turn it into new products in a way that can compete with virgin materials and the producers of virgin materials that don't account for externalities, that don't account for the impacts that they have on the environment. The case really allows to cover about 15 years, the amount of time that was needed for HP to develop their supply chain. And it ends in uh, the beginning of 2020 when the COVID hit and the price of virgin plastic plumbed. And so at that point, HP was losing a lot of money uh, out of uh, using recycled plastic. And mm -hmm. so the question is, what do we do? For how long can we continue? What strategies and tactics can we put in place to, to remain competitive? So I think that's a great case. Um, obviously, I, I worked on it, but uh, <laughs> another very good case is the ANW case, uh, which focuses on uh, on an ubiquitous problem, the problem of coffee cups, disposable coffee cups. We drink coffee, we love it, and yet when you walk around in the street, you see cups from a number of brands that pollute the environment. And so... ANW had a tradition into sustainability uh, and reusing. So historically, they, they avoided disposable coffee cups and used uh, reusable coffee cups in their shops. However, uh, because of the pandemic, again, uh, we started to do more takeouts and there were 
health issues related to reusing because sanitation and, and, and cleaning standards had to be changed. And so they experienced a dramatic increase in the packaging, in disposable packaging that they were using and felt the responsibility to work on it. So the case reviews a number of cups options that uh, ANW had to consider and pushes the students to think about this decision-making process. What criteria, what economic criteria would you use to select among these cups? What uh, operational implications a different cup would have for your, uh, for, your, for your restaurants? What are the environmental implications of different cups? And so in, along this conversation, the student can, first of all, understand how to develop a decision-making framework. And second of all, as they do that, they realize that there are a number of trade-offs that they need to consider, not just between economic and environmental performance, meaning the cheapest cup is usually the most environmentally polluting, mm. but also between environmental criteria. For example, there are some cups made of paper that are uh, much more polluting upstream during the production process. But if they get disposed improperly, they don't pollute the environment. So you are, uh, you know, if you choose a, a paper-based uh, material, then it's uh, detrimental upstream, but less impactful downstream. If you choose a plastic material, it's less detrimental upstream because it's very efficiently produced, but it's incredibly detrimental downstream if it leakages to the environment. You know, we know we all know about microplastics. So they learn how to. First of all, identify these trade-offs and then think about ways to overcome them. And then you also developed a case uh, with Huawei, uh, which is, again, a great brand. I love it when, as a publisher, we see brands that we recognize that are timely. Uh, could you talk a little bit about, about that case? Uh, absolutely. That was published one year ago, uh, and it takes a more uh, network perspective on sustainability. Uh, as a scholar, I work a lot with uh, supply chains, which are essentially large networks of players. And this case reviews a 15-year journey through which Huawei has tried to improve the sustainability of their large supply network. And we are talking about thousands of suppliers that are all co-located in China. So the case is useful to review different tactics that a large organization can use to influence suppliers in terms of their environmental and social practices. Something that I think that case is peculiar because it's a case of failure, unfortunately. And we don't get mm. to, to talk too much about failures in case studies because companies won't, won't reveal those failures. But this one is interesting because Huawei, with a good goal to increase sustainability, has tried to come up with a, an initiative that was called Best Future Supplier Forum, which is essentially a, an online platform that allows suppliers to self-assess themselves on a number of sustainability dimensions. And the platform would gather all this data, would do benchmarking, and would return automatic feedback to, to the suppliers and give them badges from gold, platinum, silver, bronze on different dimensions so that the supplier will know where they have to improve and, and also uh, feel sort of a competition with other suppliers so that the platform could stimulate a race to the top. That didn't work, essentially. It wasn't creating the change that it was supposed to. And the case triggered that question, why is it not working? What 
what do we have to do to improve sustainability in a network of thousands of suppliers? And I really like that you mentioned that this is a, a kind of a, an exciting case because it does talk about failure. And I, I love to see those come through because it's, it's, some, it's sometimes easy to find those examples of where somebody's successful and, and goes on and a, and a project wins, for example. But having one where there are challenges is great to see in our library. You know, what else do you think about, you know, first and foremost, when writing a sustainability case? Does, does it differ from writing an operations case or a general management case? Walk us through how you think about writing. Yeah, so my reaction would be that the process itself does not differ much. I, I would still try to focus on a very timely organization and topic yeah. and try to create a number of beneficial outcomes for different stakeholders involved in the case. So first I think about myself, I'm egoistic. Uh, I think about what can I learn from this case? What is, what is a novel about the context, about the issue or about the solution? Uh, because I want to continue to learn and I want to continue to sort of use case studies to maybe uh, feed ideas into my research. Then I frame the case as an opportunity for the company uh, to think about and properly frame a salient problem that they have to deal with in the short term. Uh, and so I approach them with, with this idea to uh, create a safe space for them to investigate a problem that they are struggling with. And the fact that students often are exposed to this problem through the case it's, it's a good motiv motivator for companies because they like to pick on the collective bright minds of our students to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And then obviously think about students, what is it that they can learn in terms of problems and managerial solutions? The more I think about the question that you asked, the more I come to realize that uh, there is maybe one key difference between a sustainability case and, and a traditional case is the level of complexity and focus. You know, sustainability is about systems, is about intended and unintended consequences, is about complex trade-offs between different stakeholder groups, between the natural environment, profit-making uh, or profit optimization and, and society. It usually requires to have um, many more notion concepts and frameworks to be embedded within the case in order for an insightful conversation to unfold. So a traditional case will be focused on one concept, one issue, one framework. A sustainability case instead often speak to and can be informed by a number of concepts, theories, and, and notions, and, and, and knowledge, uh, learning points. And so it makes the, you know, the in-class experience, the case can go in uh, many different ways, which is always great as a student to, uh, to have that experience. But I also want to reinforce something that you said about, you know, you look at how can it inform new research ideas. And that's been a theme that's come up on this podcast a number of times is that relationship uh, between, you know, cases coming out of research or cases informing research. So that kind of back and forth or the way that they, it can feed each other is great that you mentioned that because it is a theme that's coming up over and over and something not to be overlooked. So I'd like you to kind of peer forward into the future, if you might. Uh, what does the future look like for sustainability in business education? Uh, thinking ahead. I think there is there are gaps that we need to 
to close quickly. There are many courses around the world on, on digitalization, uh, strategic decision-making, operations. But I think there is great demand around topics such as circular economy, climate change, system thinking, system innovation. So I think we need to quickly move towards offering cases, courses, programs, and diploma that tackle very explicitly these this topics uh, because there are informational needs out there that are currently not met. The way to meet them will be to provide, in my opinion, a combination of options from, from short courses that are more executive oriented to longer programs that are more specific to sustainability and perhaps specific topical issues within sustainability. All of them should be, should be based on, I believe, a combination of three factors. They should use applied, meaning case-based, but theoretically informed readings, videos, and class discussions because sustainability is really practical, pragmatic, yet you can theorize on it, but, but still there are practical implications that we need to discuss and, and, and explore. Second is a focus on a key sustainability issue and challenge. I think sustainability is such a large and ever-evolving concept that the, the program, the course need to bring focus. What are we talking about here? climate change, how does it manifest, where it come from, how can we tackle it? These questions would have different answers if we focus on issues of social justice and inequality. So I think the course or, or the program need to be focused around a specific subset of sustainability issues and challenges. And then it has to complement the in-class learning with experiential learning from mm. internship, challenges, workshops and perhaps applied research courses, which I do very often with my students where they take a research project on for credit. So again, students need to learn from the instructor, from the material, from their peers, and most importantly, from business leaders that are currently dealing with uh, very difficult questions. I think we need uh, applied, meaning case-based material that is theoretically informed uh, and can rely upon readings, videos, but also class discussions. I think that this material needs to be very focused on specific sustainability issues because dealing with different issues will require to consider different theoretical lenses. And I also think that everything should be complemented by experiential learning from internship to challenges, workshops, but even uh, research courses. With my students, I very often offer them research projects for credit. In, in this re research project, they can dig deeper into specific issues and work with companies to understand how these issues play out and how can they eventually be resolved. Now, one of the things that's you know, the benefit of having a podcast like this is we can encourage the listener to go on and look at other resources or dive into other cases. And I know that you're doing some work uh, in Guelph that uh, has a number of resources available. You know, could you talk about things, you know, outside of the cases that you've written where you'd really encourage the listener to go to learn more about the subject? Uh, thank you for the question. So uh, we are working with Our Food Future and, and COIL in Canada to, 
to accelerate the transition towards a circular economy for, for food. There will be a number of technical reports that will come out early in 2022 from, from that exercise. I would also suggest to look at the cases of a colleague of mine, Daishin Li, which I really think she's a great writer and a great researcher, but also a, a great case writer. There are especially two that I would recommend. They they exist. They are very well known, but I, nonetheless, I like to do some publicity here. I think the Erman Müller case on how Erman Müller decided to switch from PVC to more recyclable uh, plastic materials in their products. And one that maybe is less known, but I think uh, is, a, is a great learning experience is uh, Polyface, the farm of many faces. And essentially this case breaks down uh, and compares the operations of, of a farm that uh, has multiple type of animals from cattle to pigs and, and chickens and produces different type of outputs. It compares this setting with the more industrial setting that is highly specialized and, and uh, there's no co-production involved, but is only focused on one product at the time. So crop production, meat production. And, and the case is great because you learn that the small system that is more complex and multi-product can actually compete with the industrial system, but not based on economies of scale, but rather on economies of scope, which is a, it's a great learning exercise. So is there anything before we wrap up today that you want to leave the listener with, encourage them to do or to, to look at anything about the case collection, sustainability, or the circular economy that you really want to hit home with the listener? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm working a lot on uh, repurposing food loss and waste. Please check out our website. We have just implemented an interactive map that you can use in your courses. And the map shows all the business to business waste exchanges that we have been able to track in the last two, three years. It gives you the material that is used, what is used for, when the exchange happened, and it shows how the circular economy network is evolving over time. So please use it uh, and, and get back to us with any feedback. Well, that's great. And uh, I love to see things that are going to continue to evolve with the participation of, of the community. And I want to thank you for the work that you're doing and the cases that you've published. The, obviously, our, our collaboration is always a lot of fun and can't wait to see some of the outputs of this. But moreover, as we talked about, the work that you and your colleagues are doing to equip the future leaders to think about challenges like this and to think uh, in ways that not only bolster the business, but the communities and the environments that they're working in. So thank you so much for, for joining us today and for the work that you're doing. Thank you, Ivy Publishing, and thank you, Matt, for, for the invitation. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to Decision Point on Spotify or wherever you listen. And be sure to check out the show notes for links to cases, resources, and more. Have any feedback? send us an email at cases at iv.ca.